0: Welcome, everyone, to Force of Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew D. Hamilton, and I'm here with my co-host, David Butcher. Terrific. This week, we have part two of Animals in Warfare. This is a really good topic, and I I really enjoyed doing last week's episode. This episode is going to be a little bit different than last week. Our our stories are a little bit longer this week, more in-depth, a little more detailed, uh, so, there's going to be fewer of them, but either way, I have some great stories for us. And Dave, you have one as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Good. It's going to be great. Well, you're, kind foreshadowing of, there. you're giving it a little bit of way. <laughs> huh? uh, we hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode. We told like 11 stories about animals and warfare. I think my favorite was the turkeys being used as parachutes. I don't good. know why. I think that's really funny. When yeah. they dropped the air supplies, but they didn't have parachutes, so the turkeys had to come down. They're <laughs> flapping their wings, and then they explode on the ground. Yeah, But yeah. the uh, supplies were fine, but the turkeys were not. Nice, but they had turkey <laughs> dinner for that. Yeah. Did you have a favorite from last week? I, you know, I thought the scorpions was pretty ingenious. The scorpions was pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as always, we are joined in the studio by Colonel Cheetor. Did you two Jabronis know that today is the 75th anniversary of D-Day? Oh, you're you're Actually, right, we Cheetor. did. Yeah. Cheetor's a bit of a history buff. Wow. Uh, yeah, 75th anniversary of D-Day. That's kind of fitting with what we're talking it about sure today. It was totally on accident. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. 75 years ago that happened. It's I was crazy, doing some yeah. reading on it today as How well. You? Yeah, cuz I uh, I saw it on on my thing on My newsreel that I was D Day and I was like, Oh, yeah, it is. And So I read up a little information about yeah. it. Imagine doing that. Oh, no, no. I mean, if you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, that's they did a pretty good job reenacting about yeah. what that was like. Yeah, and that the, was the,
1: the NPR's had some stories about it. Um, they've they were talking to a medic that went through it. Landed, oh man, that it, it's just crazy. I can't, you can't say. get too it's far so, into it. So, yeah. Man, just his story, you're thinking, what the heck? How could it get any worse? And it gets worse. Yeah, it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing. They they're uh, I guess they're kind of following them there following them there in France, and there's just a few handful of Yeah, left, there's not know. that many left. Uh, yeah. World War II veterans in general, yeah. right now. Yeah. There were even had people there for, in France at that time still. That were oh, they man. were they all kind of came together. They met the veterans, they I met think I know. people yeah. who who uh were living there in um, in Normandy when it happened and yeah it's
0: pretty neat yeah it is cool I wish I could be there I mean yeah not when it happened but like visit no, it now right now yeah. yeah visit it now yeah, yeah. for sure uh, but uh, let's keep going uh, and as always we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning into us like we've been doing well on our downloads lately that's really good special shout out to Ireland and Mexico oh yeah yeah we've they, they've been racking up with some hits lately too Holy ole ole What's your Irish one for that? I don't know. Want we'll to have a pint? Uh, <laughs> want to get a beer? Uh, Maybe they like Irish, it because but... we have a drinking game,
1: you know, associated with it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. We should do one on that one. I'm just <laughs> Well, I've got my drinking game right drink. here. I'm drinking yeah. a beer right <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. And if you enjoy the show, something you can do to contribute is... Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Give us a review. Give us five stars. Say something you like about the show. And the ratings and reviews really help our podcast gain more attention, gain more listeners. They mean more than you think, so please do that for us. Uh, I, don't, I know it takes 20 to 30 seconds, but it would mean a lot. Yeah. Alright, so first, our first story, Dave. Uh, I want to cover kind of a more famous story about animals in warfare. But in order to tell this story and all of our stories, we need to do something first. Uh, what what do you think that is? Oh, use something? That's right. We need to use our trusty time machine. Mm-hmm.
1: Sometime.
0: Somewhere. And for this story, we are taking our time machine way back. We are going to around 218 BC. Oh. And this story is about Hannibal mm-hmm. and his war elephants. I'm sure a lot of people have at least heard about this story before and kind of at least heard of him and what he did a little bit. Yeah. But let's get into it in a little more detail. So a little bit about Hannibal first. He is widely considered one of the greatest military leaders in history. He was a, a Cartha, Carthaginian. Yeah. Carthaginian. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. yeah. Their their land was in the Mediterranean in parts of North Africa, mostly in modern day Tunisia, and along the coast as well, and then into southern Spain, as some islands in the Mediterranean too. The capital was Carthage. And I think Carthage yeah, Carthage is in modern day Tunisia, in northern Africa.
1: Okay.
0: Hannibal, his last name is Barca, B-A-R-C-A, hmm. but it he, he pretty much just goes by Hannibal for yeah. the most part. Uh, He is known to be a great strategist, uh, ranking with uh, other famous leaders like Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte, and several others. So he's in pretty good company there. Nice. In Hannibal's time, Carthage and Rome, or the Roman Republic, were doing all they were battling constantly. Uh, The Roman Empire actually didn't. Uh, It didn't go by they didn't go by the name the Roman Empire until uh, like 29 B.C. So at this point, they were still the Roman Republic. Okay. Uh, If you look at a map, Carthage and Rome aren't very far from each other either. Just a little bit across the Mediterranean. Uh, But in 265 B.C., Rome started the Punic Wars. The first one lasted 24 years. And in this war, Rome took over some land from Carthage. After the first Punic War, there was 22 22 years of relative peace and quiet. But uh, a Carthaginian didn't accept defeat well. And this was uh, General Hamilcar, Hannibal's father. Is that how you say it? Are you familiar with his name? No. That's how it... Huh. Ham, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R. Huh. Hamilcar, so... Uh, Hamilcar made his son Hannibal swear an eternal hatred against the Romans. Wow. This was an oath Hannibal took very seriously and maintained it until he died. Gee. Hamilcar's favorite strategy involved using elephants to scare his enemies... While teaching his son in military science, he always emphasized the need for a great herd of the giant beasts. Hmm. So think about this. Nowadays, everyone knows what an elephant is. Children know what, what they are and what they look like, how big they are. But back then, unless you've seen one before, uh, I can imagine how, imagine how terrifying it would be to see a, a huge elephant.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, what is that thing? Like, how, that would be really scary. To these enemy soldiers, like you see your enemy from a distance, they get closer, and then you see these massive animals, probably scared the literal shit out of some of these soldiers. Yeah. So elephants were really good at enlisting fear in the enemy. That makes sense, right? Yeah. And yeah, that's why uh, Hamilcar and his son Hannibal loved using them. So ironically, Hamilcar actually drowned while on the back of an elephant. (laughs) Oh my goodness! (laughs) That's how he died. But uh, after his father's death, Hannibal took over as general of the army. With this army and a herd of elephants, Hannibal sought to seek revenge against Rome. Mm. His plan, to sneak the army and elephants over the Alps and surprise the Romans. Mm. Now, this is the famous story. Um, But also, I want to add that these elephants he used were most likely african elephants okay not asian asian elephants are more known to be more trainable than the african ones like at a circus it's always an asian elephant it's not going to be an oh, african okay. elephant and from all my research nobody really knows how they got their elephants huh it's kind of a mystery But uh, nowadays, elephants don't even live in northern Africa. It's possible uh, subspecies lived there back then, but I couldn't find uh, anything about Uh, how uh, Hannibal even acquired these elephants. mm. There was one. I was there's a ton of research on this topic, and it's all debatable. But one thing was that there was coins made, and the the coins um, they had a depiction of elephants that looked African. So that's why they think they were African, just pretty much from some coins. But uh, somehow Hannibal has elephants. So the the route which Hannibal traveled started in southern Spain, then into goes into Roman territory, going up north. So they had to cross the Pyrenees mountains first, then make their way to the Alps. And they had it. They were fighting battles in between too. Mm. There's so much more to this than what we're going to be able to wow. cover. But yeah, they're fighting battles a lot. Uh, Hannibal's idea for all of this is to bypass the Roman navy because the Roman navy was heavily concentrated in the Mediterranean, obviously. And uh, Romans never would have thought anyone would come from the north. The Alps are. Um, they thought there was like a, a border, like the, nobody's going to co- go through the mountains. That'd be stupid to do that. But uh, the Alps are mostly in northern Italy and like Switzerland and around that region. Yeah. And also, uh, obviously, like I said, I'm leaving a ton of information out. We can only cover some of the highlights. Otherwise, you could do like six hour podcast on this topic if you wanted to.
1: Yeah.
0: But uh, so they do cross the Pyrenees Mountains in northern Spain they also have to cross rivers like the rhone river and then then cross the alps like crossing the river that's a big task for an army back then it really is especially when you got elephants yeah uh, at one point he has around 30 to 40,000 men and around 40 elephants
1: hmm
0: now the Al- the alps is the most famous part of the story and there are many paintings and drawings depicting their trek through the snow-covered mountains. And there's just something odd about seeing elephants in the snow and in the mountains like that. It's just, like, that doesn't fit. Like, whenever you see a painting like that, it's like,
1: that doesn't work. It's like humans and dinosaurs or (laughs) polar bears in the South Pole,
0: you know? Yeah, polar bears are not in the South Pole. (laughs) That's correct. They are in the North Pole. I'm still on that one. (laughs) All right, uh... Now, it's still debated, even today, on the route that they took. Nobody knows for sure. Hmm. There's Some people think there was... I saw maps of routes routes that may have been the ones, but Uh. eh, nobody really knows. And their trek was extremely dangerous for men, let alone elephants. Many men and some elephants died crossing the mountain. Hmm. There was points where the trail got so thin none of the elephants could fit through. So at these points, the troops had to construct roads so the elephant could tightly squeeze to get by. I mean, an elephant, you would imagine, can get by in like mm, 10, 15 feet? Yeah, maybe 10. Yeah. And so imagine... That's how that's what they're dealing with. It's like how tight some like single file line for thousands of soldiers. Oh, that's crazy. And then they got to build roads to get these elephants. And then they had other animals like um, horses and um, donkeys and stuff. So they got to get those in, too. Just all of this sounds terrible. Yeah. And it's very treacherous conditions that they faced. Uh, Many men fell to their deaths, slipping on the snow and ice and just fall. Elephants did, too. Oh, Wow. Uh, there were trying, there were trying times for the army, but Hannibal was really good at encouraging his men, you know, and getting them pumped up, getting them going all, you gotta be that. You gotta be really good at that to be a general. Yeah. Um, So makeshift roads were built, which took days to do. And the elephants aren't in good condition either. They're starving. They, they're in the mountains. Oh. They don't eat anything in the mountains, but Hannibal, his army, Uh, his army and most of the elephants made it through the Alps. They actually did, which is a feat that is still praised by everyone still today and how they did that. This is the start of the second Punic war. And this went on for 15 more years. Hannibal always managed to wrangle up elephants somehow. And Hannibal was very successful and won several decisive battles during this time. However, he never made uh, he never made it to Rome itself. He never got to Rome. Oh. And when he ran out of elephants after the... He did eventually run out of elephants after the Battle of Tresamine. Hmm. Uh, he sent for more elephants from Carthage, but shipping problems and revolt... <laughs> yeah, FedEx, I'm sure, had a tough time getting there. <laughs> putting them in the box, huh? But yeah, he tried to get more from Carthage, but shipping problems and a revolt on the docks prevented him getting more. Oh, wow. Hannibal! because they were like, we're not crossing the Alps. We revolt. (laughs) Uh, uh, Hannibal eventually left Italy. And uh, when he did, the Romans regrouped and now they set off for Carthage. Mm. I don't know how much time is in between this, but just trying to hit the main hey, We'll take the easy route. Yeah, we'll just take a, little, we'll take a quick ship straight yeah. down. Um, one morning in 203 BC, the Romans took over Zama, which is like a suburb of Carthage. Oh. Hannibal, Hannibal, who is in Carthage, became in charge of the new army and was given every elephant to their disposal. Mm-hmm. And this is like the Battle of Zama. Okay. When he went to face the Romans with the elephants, the leader of the Romans, well, he had a, a big enemy. Uh, his name is Scipio. That sounds familiar. Yeah, you've probably heard of him. Who is uh, is also a very famous general, just on the same level as Hannibal. Hmm. And this battle did not go very well for Hannibal. Scipio and the Romans were prepared and special and they had special tactics to deal with these war elephants they used trumpets to frighten the elephants into oh. retreating hmm. and remember what happened we had a story last week where they used flaming camels to do the same thing and do you remember what happened after they the camels started charging
1: yeah they the elephants turned and trampled their own army yeah
0: same thing happened here <laughs> so Uh, When the elephants get frightened, they turn around and they just start stampeding and retreating. And this killed a lot of Hannibal's own men Mm. when this happened. And Scipio ended up defeating Hannibal and Rome took over Carthage. After this battle, Hannibal went into exile for a number of years, doing some traveling, going places. Uh, He went to Asia for a while, too. But the the Romans were looking for him the whole time. He like had like Ooh. a bounty on him, I guess. Oh wow. Now at the age of sixty-four, in one hundred eighty three or one eighty one, we don't know for sure, the Romans found out where he was and surrounded the castle he was living in. He knew he could not escape and kept his oath, he told his father. He didn't surrender, but drank poison and killed himself. Mm. But Hannibal has quite the legacy. Uh, A lot of his story is debated between scholars, but he is still known as a legendary military leader. Yeah, that's the story. Yeah. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Vin Diesel was
1: actually talking about being Hannibal, playing Hannibal across crossing the Alps. But it never came to fruition. He talked about it for years. Really? Yeah. That could be a cool one.
0: Yeah, I yeah. was looking forward to it. I wanted to see it. I can see, see Vin Diesel doing that. Yeah. Was, I mean, he, I'm not a big Fast and Furious guy, but I oh, could, you didn't like those? Oh, yeah, they're okay. They're fun.
1: I I do like him in Riddick. I like Chronicles. Yeah, of Yeah, Riddick is That's, good.
0: Those are the ones I liked with
1: him. You we know, another thing I I read about the uh, elephants is that the Rome uh, they were you know they were hit and miss. Mm-hmm. But the Romans, after that, started using elephants too. But they would use them fighting the barbarian hordes. Oh yeah, yeah, in Europe because unorganized armies. That's when you the elephants were there to create the chaos.
0: Yeah, know, to frighten and scatter them. That makes sense too. The unorganized yeah. armies. That's when you. think yeah. maybe that's when they're best use. Yeah, useful.
1: They tried to use them in. I think they used them a bit in Spain. They tried to use them to conquer uh, England. But they decided now it's not it's not effective anymore. Yeah. And they slowly w- went away when cannons came in because then once oh, that yeah. came in, they weren't, they you weren't you effective could, at all. You could
0: kill an elephant easy with a cannon. Yeah, or even just scare them, you know? Yeah, they're not they're, – they're, as we've they learned, they're not super difficult to scare. Yeah. And when they do, they'll turn on I'll turn on you. They're yeah. huge. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that is the story of Hannibal and his war elephants. And like I said, obviously there's much more to this story. I did my best to kind of cover the highlights and mm. hit the main points. Yeah. But it's kind of a famous story, so I want I felt like it was necessary to share. Yeah. Okay. So, we have an I got another story for you. And this story is a little different. It involves a small mammal that has been trained to detect landmines. Hmm. And this is still going on today, and the animals are rats. Wow, rats, huh? Yeah, rats. Uh, there is an organization based out of Tanzania called Apopo, A-P-O-P-O. Huh. In English, it stands for... Police? An- no. Popo? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's in English, it's in Africa. I don't know what African language, but in English, it translates to anti-personnel landmines removal product development. Okay. And what they do is they train these southern giant pouch rats. These rats are pretty good size. How big are they? I I didn't write it down, but they're over a foot, foot foot and a half long. Yeah, about a foot, foot and a half long. Uh, What they do, yeah, they train these, uh, they train them to detect landmines as well as to, and eventually they um, started to figure out that they could detect tuberculosis in people. Wow. Yeah. That'll save you a doctor visit. That would save you a doctor. (laughs) Tuberculosis isn't a big thing anymore, but it might still be in Africa. Yeah. I mean, here it's, it has been a thing for a long time yeah, you have to get shots all the time for it yeah but tuberculosis that was a bad thing that's what oh that's what um on red dead redemption 2 that's how uh arthur morgan dies is from tb tubercul- oh hey thanks for spoiling uh, well, that for me. Y- you know what you've had since october to play <laughs> the game and i feel like spoilers are okay for you uh, right now i'll get to it in a couple years <laughs> i'll finish yeah. it but yeah that's how he, he gets he contracts tuberculosis and oh, he okay. dies Anyway, let's continue. The, the program began in 1997, and the belief is that rats, with their strong sense of smell and ability to be trained, could provide a better means to detect landmines, say like mm-hmm. over dogs. Now, you might wonder, how do you train a rat to detect landmines? Well, rats are actually quite intelligent. Yeah, that's why they use them for all the studies. Yeah, yeah they do. And they're easily disposable yeah that's true. That's kind of the sad part, but and it's rats <laughs> some for some reason, I don't really care about rats uh but they don't they rats they don't have very good eyesight, but they have incredible sense of smell and it normally takes nine months to train the rats, and then the rats learn through reward and repetition so when they find a mine, they're taught to sniff out the t n t that's what they're after. Hmm. Uh, When they find some, they are treated with a piece of fruit. Normally a banana. Hopefully not over the landmine. (laughs) I would imagine not. (laughs) Uh, The trainers also use decoys in the training so that the rats learn that they'll only get a treat if they find TNT.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: The Apopo says that rats are better at finding landmines than dogs. That could be argued. Some people Uh. argue that. But... uh, their small size means they won't set off the landmines, which is good. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> also, rats don't have bonding issues, you know, like so while dogs can only work with one handler, uh-huh. the rats will work with anyone. Oh, okay. So that that makes sense. Yeah, rats are also cheaper and uh, easier to train than dogs, or cheaper to train. And the rats are widely available to sub-Saharan Africa <laughs> and are resistant to most tropical diseases. Oh. so And they're easily disposable. But you still got to put in nine months to train them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, landmines are actually a big problem in a lot of areas around the world. Landmines are a hazard of war and get left there after war's end. Mm. Uh, leftover landmines kill thousands of people a year. Uh, especially in war-torn, like, third-world countries. Not all yeah. the time, but uh, that's kind of the main areas where they're at. Yeah. In one story, a woman in Mozambique credits the rats and Apopo for saving her land and helping her family survive. Her family depends on crops in the fields. After the war, her fields were contaminated with mines. Hmm. and if it were, And it was too dangerous for them to go in there to try to... Uh, get their crops uh, through Apopo and the rats. Her fields were clear, completely cleared of mines, and her family able to return to their crops and to live safely. Nice, so they are doing some good. And over the last two decades, the rats have destroyed over a 100,000 landmines. Wow, uh, and, I mean, this which helps a lot of people in yeah. doing this. In 2015, Apopo sent their rats to Cambodia in Southeast Asia. Cambodia has the highest rate of uh, landmine amputees per capita, Ooh. and their neighbors Laos and Vietnam have a lot too. Oh. So the popo is growing. This is becoming more of a popular thing with these rats. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, there are some, skept- some some people who are skeptical about it and say rats aren't that good for it. Huh. It depends. I they were the argument was like it depends on the um. Uh, the terrain that they're on huh. if, if they're in heavy like uh forested areas rats don't do good i guess but that was hmm. the argument i don't know for sure
1: huh
0: i i don't know for sure but that there was arguments there's critics to everything so they were yeah they were saying that they weren't good uh but at least we as we can uh, tell they're at least like doing some, some hundred thousand people possibly mm-hmm. that's effective enough i think yeah hey that's that works yeah Okay, so we're going to continue with another story and we're going to hop back in our time machine and we are going to World War II. Oh, yeah. And this this honestly might be one of my favorite stories that we've ever covered on this show. I don't know why, but I really dig this story. So let's get into it. Let's meet a dog named Judy and she is an English pointer. Hmm. She spent most of her early life at as a ship's mascot for the British Royal Navy in Shanghai. Later, she ended up on the gunboat HMS Grasshopper, uh, stationed in Singapore in early 1942. The Japanese took over Singapore in 1942, and before the grasshopper could reach safety, the ship was sunk by Japanese bombers in the South China Sea. Hmm. Judy and some sailors survived, but they were all marooned on a small desert island without food or water. Oh, wow. Judy, however, possessing far sharper senses than humans, managed to sniff out an underground freshwater spring.
1: Oh, nice. That was
0: there at low tide. Um, She began digging, and clean water bubbled from the ground, and the men knew that they were saved. Judy had proved her worth as a military dog, and, well, this isn't the last time she was claimed a hero. Hmm. So after a few days of being marooned, the men found—I did didn't—I I wasn't clear on this part, but somehow they reached the island of Sumatra. I don't know if they got in a boat that was there. They made one. I'm not sure. Hmm. But anyway, they reached the island of Sumatra in Indonesia— the men with Judy hiked over 200 miles through the jungles. It, it, very dense jungles there in Sumatra. And it was not easy and took five weeks to do this. Wow. It was especially traumatic for Judy because she was attacked by a crocodile. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, luckily, she survived the attack with only minor injuries. But she, she was attacked by a What did it get? Her tail? I don't or? know. Maybe. Wow. I really don't know. That's surprisingly she she only had minor injuries. Yeah, Maybe it was a small croc. I don't know, but hmm. um, and ever watchful, she also alerted the men to the presence of a tiger that was stalking the men. Oh wow! So <laughs> I don't I don't know if I want to go to Sumatra <laughs> in nineteen or yeah forty two. Gee, it sounds like <laughs> there's every animal they can get yeah. you. Uh, when they finally made it out of the jungle. They found out they missed the last British evacuation by nine days. Oh. And they are now in a village controlled by the Japanese. Oh, boy. They were captured and taken to a Japanese POW camp, prisoner prisoner of war camp, and Judy went with them. Hmm. They were taken to the notorious Gloager. I think that's how you say it. The glo Glowgoer camp Um, the men knowing that their captors would not take kindly to having judy around they kept her hidden under rice sacks in transport and uh, that's how she got to the camp wow at this camp the men were subjected to years of torture uh, deprivation and brutal forced labor Uh, this is not a place you want to be Wow. Any kind of prisoner of war camp, yeah, and the Japanese weren't known for being that friendly in them. No. Uh, at the prison camp, Judy was mainly looked after a man. Uh, his he went by Private Cousins. Cousins' camp task was making leather items, and he would sneak scraps of leather to feed Judy.
1: Mm, Just scraps wow. of leather.
0: Cousins unfortunately died after contracting malaria. Oh. Soon, Judy would meet a new friend, though, one that would stay with her the rest of her life. This is leading aircraftman Frank Williams. He was captured and taken to the camp in 42 and immediately noticed Judy. He saw that while the prisoners enjoyed having her around and feed her scraps of rice, she didn't really have a specific person. ...who looked after her. Hmm. So he took this duty on himself. One day, he gave Judy his entire ration of rice. Wow. And they kind of just hit it off, and from that moment on, she was always at his side. Oh, nice. And despite living a life of equal deprivation and misery as the other prisoners, Judy never let her spirits get down too much or dull her attitude. Whenever the Japanese guards started beating one of the prisoners, Judy would jump in, snapping and snarling to try to protect the prisoner. Hmm. Then the guards would turn their anger to her, kicking her and beating her with the butt of their rifles. Oh, wow. Frank realized that as admirable as her heroic devotion to protecting the prisoners was, it was going to get her killed. He came up with a pretty inventive plan to give her protected status in the prison camp. Hmm. Is, I don't know why, but this is this could kinda of funny. So the commander of the camp was a notorious drunk, the Japanese commander. Okay. And fortunately he was a pleasant drunk. He was he was oh. a fun drunk, I guess. Uh, one night when the commander was heavily inebriated on, on the sake. I'm not a big fan of sake. Hmm. It's weird. But um F- Frank successfully persuaded him to register Judy as a camp prisoner. Huh. Her POW name in the official records was 81A Gloger Madan. That's where oh. it was in Madame. But her 81A, that's that's oh. her prisoner number. Judy became the only animal in World War II to be registered as an official prisoner of war. Wow. Isn't that kinda, that's cool. That's interesting. So, Judy was not only did her best to protect the men, but she also provided a much needed psychological and emotional boost for them. That's mm-hmm. a good thing with like dogs and cats. They, they do this, you, know, you don't even have to be in war, they do it to people around the house. Yeah. You know, that's why a lot of people get dogs and cats is for this boost. Yeah. So, with her optimistic presence and wagging tail, she helped to keep morale up in the depressing and bleak environment that they're in. Mm. Frank, in particular, credited her with his survival, saying that simply looking into her eyes every morning gave him the will to keep going and stay alive. Uh, Change came in June of 1944 when the prisoners were transferred out of the camp and taken onto the ship Harukiki Maru, that's the name of the ship, Hmm. I think, uh, animals were not allowed on board, so Frank trained Judy to hide in an empty rice sack and stay silent. Oh. This worked, and she got on the ship. Nice. I find that hard to, uh, as as a prisoner to being able to smuggle a dog in. Yeah. I, I just find that difficult. But hey, I guess that's what happened. Uh, while on the ship, uh, a few days later, it was torpedoed. Oh, wow. And the ship began to sink. Frank pushed Judy out of the porthole into the ocean and he wasn't able to jump off for a while later. Hmm. Over 500 people ended up dying from this torpedo attack. And Frank uh, did not know if Judy survived or not. Judy did survive, though, and actually helped others survive by directing them to floating debris. To which they could cling on or allow them to cling onto her while she swam to take them to the debris. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. Unfortunately, she and the survivors were later recaptured. Oh, <laughs> but there's a silver lining here as Judy was reunited with Frank at the new prisoner camp. Oh. So they found each other again. That's neat. Life in the camp was just as harsh. Uh, the men were forced to work long, grueling hours cutting a track through the jungle for a Japanese rail line. Uh, Judy proved to be valuable here, too, alerting the men to the presence of other dangerous animals like snakes, tigers, and elephants. Oh, I know. I can see dogs are good at that thing. Yeah. The prisoners were finally freed when the camp was liberated in 1945. And after that, Frank took Judy back with him to the U.K., And they were both greeted with the hero's welcome. Judy was awarded the Dickon Medal, the animal equivalent of the Victoria Cross. Wow. And Frank Williams was awarded the White Cross of St. Giles. Huh. And Judy stayed with Frank for the rest of her life. But uh, Judy contracted cancer at the age of 13 and died in 1950. She will always be remembered as a hero canine of World War II. Wow! That's
1: I, really did cool. you like that story? Yeah,
0: I really like that story. I, I don't neat. know why, but where's the movie on that one? That would be a good movie. Yeah, I would definitely watch it. Yeah, you like
1: something like a dog's purpose, you know, part of it. That would be even that would be neat. But yeah,
0: but I, I just like the idea of the dog like getting attacked by a crocodile and then <laughs> you, scaring off a tiger. I just think that's really cool. Yeah. That was my favorite parts about it, nice. but yeah, that's that's probably one of my favorite stories that we've done that we've covered so far. Right in on. Forty, what is forty seven episodes now? Gee, but yeah, I really like that story. Yeah, that's pretty neat. All right, so Dave, yeah. how about you hit us with your story? Okay, all right. This is pretty. This is this story's a little
1: off center a bit, but it'll be fun. Okay, let's go back just a tad bit more to the Great War. We'll start there. So World War One, right after World War One, um, uh, the and we're going to be in Australia. Okay. So apparently, Australia had a hard time figuring out what to do with all the veterans that came back. That you know they didn't know what to do. So mm-hmm. they started giving them land out in the you know more rural areas and saying make develop farms. We need food. So they they the government would buy land and and put the veterans on there to run the farms. Okay. So, after you know, and they did, and after a while, um, um, the emus started saying, Oh, hey, free food. So, they started coming <laughs> and eating the food in like the, the wild emus, yeah. You know what emu, emus are? Well, they're they big wild about birds, emus. yeah. So, they came in and started eating some of the food. So, they used to be protected, and then in 22, Australia said, No, they're vermin now because <laughs> they're, they're eating their crops, they need the food. So, and especially in 29 when the Great Depression happened they needed food they had you know everyone was starving and needed help so at that point um it was in the uh, well the farmers you know they were veterans so they would start protecting them by shooting the the emus yeah. well they ran out of ammo because the <laughs> government doesn't give you know they were a more controlled state back then yeah so they ran out of ammo they're like well we need more ammo no no you can't it's not you can't have it And they're like well what are we going to do? We got an emu issue here. So finally, in 32, 1932, the government said, okay, we'll have the military take care of this. Because they wouldn't give them the guns. They wouldn't give them the yeah. ammunition. Don't well, they worry, still, we'll take care of it.
0: They still don't have guns in Australia. I think yeah. they did for a point, but then there was a shooting or something. So now oh. they're, they're, they haven't had them for like the last 25 years or so. Oh, okay.
1: So yeah, they sent, they sent the military out. And this begins what is known as the Great Emu War. <laughs> that sounds so silly. <laughs> it does. But listen, it's so funny. So they um, the they put a general in charge of this. He goes out there. And he's, he's like, okay, we'll take care of this. Then he finds out there's a group of 30 of them. Because emus travel kind of like in a, in a pack. No, I don't they, know what you'd no. call it. Flock, yeah, I sure. suppose. But they can get pretty big. So he found one of 30. And they're like, oh, well, here we go. Well, we'll take this one down, and show them that we can do. So they have Vicker machine guns. Do you know what those are? I can't are? remember what those are. They but... had two Vicker machine guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition. That's what they went out there with. So, anyway, the emus get close. Then they start uh, using machine guns to get into them. Uh, it wasn't that effective. They scattered once it happens and they're fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so really like, fast. Once the first uh, shot rang out, whoosh, so they, they scatter okay. and run. And so he's like, well, we didn't get very many of them. He's like, okay, so they figured out. So the emus won that battle, <laughs> and they figured out. Well, okay, so we have to be really close to them for this to work. So they're like, so they. He strategized, and he's, the general had them go. Oh, sorry, he's a major. He's a major. Anyway. He, he had his men go hide by watering holes because he knew oh, they would come by. Oh, got to go there. And they, they'd hide in the bushes by the watering holes. So a flock of 100 emus came to a watering hole. Whoa. They wait until they are at point blank range <laughs> and fire. And the gun jams. But they felled about 10 or 12 right then. The gun jams rest. Same thing. Scatter and run.
0: And they're gone. That's it? They only got 12 out of like 100? Well, it, this is where it gets a
1: little spotty, right? Um, he's the general's kind of like, Yeah, we killed about a thousand, but or no, I'm sorry, the major was like, Yeah, we killed about a thousand, but in reality, um, yeah, it wasn't quite a thousand. They, they killed about 10 or 12 right there, some of them had some wounds, but oh, I'm sorry, not a thousand. He thought he killed a hundred, killed a hundred. No, they scattered, around <laughs> they didn't, and, and went on. So, again. The emus won. So then they started, we got to get in close. And they run away so fast. Here, let's mount a machine gun to a truck. So they mounted the (laughs) Vickers machine gun to a truck and they chased down a flock. But... (laughs) <laughs> the, the truck is bouncing, mm-hmm. trying to keep up, and it still couldn't keep up with them. And it's bouncing so much, they couldn't even fire a shot, <laughs> a straight shot. So that didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work at all. So, three nothing from the emus? Yeah. And get this um, there's there was a story of uh, um, uh, the farmers, since they didn't get bolus and they're still trying to take care of this problem, found <laughs> he had a truck. Well, he decided he found one lone one in the road, so he ran it down. <laughs> And get, and uh, what happened was when he hit it, the emu came through the windshield. He killed the emu, but the emu came through the windshield. His body got tangled in the in the steering wheel, <laughs> and the truck runs off the road, <laughs> taking out half of the fencing <laughs> on the farm. Yeah, man, they're struggling with these. Oh yeah, these it, was, emus. it was horrible. Yeah, one of the in fact one of the veterans, um, he said, you know, the only way to kill these birds. Is either shoot it in the back of the head when its mouth is closed, or shoot it in the front of the head when its mouth is open. So, because if you think about it, they got long, long skinny, ne- legs. skinny legs and a long skinny neck. So there's not much you can do. You can hit them in the body, but they'll run. Yeah. And and then they could die off later, possibly. But they never knew. Uh, so, yeah, you had to hit them in the head That's if you a want them dead shot.
0: there. I yeah, think with a rifle, maybe yeah. a shot, close range shotgun. Yeah. That's like all
1: I can think of. Yeah. So you know, by, by the time they had them out there for months, I want to say six to eight months, they were out there. And after finally they used all their ammunition, the major, <laughs> the major uh, who's in charge of the operation came down to say, you know what? Um, it takes 10 bullets to kill one emu. Emu. So that they had 10,000 rounds, and they only killed a <laughs> thousand emus the whole time. Wow, and so, uh, but uh, but and there were uh, there, you know, there were so many that didn't do anything. So, I yeah, barely but, put a dent in the population. So, they recalled them back. The emus won the won the war, <laughs> they won the war. Yeah, <laughs> huh? the emus
0: won the war, but,
1: but the government caved and finally gave the veterans the ammunition. Oh, okay. And then they felled 36,000 in the next six months, <laughs> and even that wasn't enough. No, yeah. So, but they, they it was just trying to control the farms. that maybe they had their future, their food that they yeah. need for the country. But uh, so after a while, they were put back on the protected status list, but they were, they never got very, very far. They, they, they think there's about six, about 600,000 there still today. Aren't they? Yeah. They're not they're, so at they're least doing concerned, fine. Yeah. On the, on the oh, extinction okay. list.
0: Now, nowadays their problems, kangaroos. Oh really? Yeah, there's they have so many kangaroos in Australia. Remember, okay. we oh, I that you bet the emus had a problem with kangaroos. No, so. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, be a good fight. I'd watch, yeah. a, 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 a boxing kangaroo and then an emu. Yeah, be kicking at you. They both be kicking actually. Yeah, that's, that's how true. That's <laughs> emu true. versus kangaroo. Who's gonna win? Uh, yeah, I think but, I might go with the emu. That yeah, they got them pretty sharp they got talents. Yeah, they got the, the claws on the back end of that. Yeah yeah i thought that was pretty funny that honey. is funny yeah. emus won it's, the war
1: it's kind of touted as as uh embarrassment for the <laughs> i can see that australian <laughs> army but hey maybe that helped prepare them for world war ii to know that hey we're not up
0: to snuff if we can't take down <laughs> you can't even take down these freaking emus yeah yeah <laughs> well that was a, that was a good story i like that one that was good yeah. so thank you for that dave yeah um i i do have one last story i'd like to, to share uh, this is our, our for this story. We are going to World War One again, but we actually start the story in South Africa, and this story is about a famous mascot animal named Jackie the baboon. Huh. Interesting. Jackie is a a Chakma baboon who served in the Third South African Infantry Regiment. Huh. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, Jackie was taken in by a man named Albert Marr and trained him to be a member of the family. I don't know if he was like an abandoned bamboo or if he oh. just nabbed him or I really don't know. Mm. But Jackie lived with Marr for several years. Then in 1915, Marr was enlisted to join the war and unwilling to leave Jackie behind, he asked his supervisor if Jackie could join the army. Much to everyone's surprise, they said, All right. <laughs> nice. No problem. Your nice. baboon can stay with us. I I, I can't imagine them <laughs> the saying... More the ...saying, like, all right. <laughs> yeah, everyone else, you know, they always talked about they have a tough time. Yeah, know? I got to smuggle their animals in South Africa. <laughs> can I just bring my animal? All right.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, once he was enlisted... Uh, J- Jackie. So yeah, they enlisted Jackie as well. Like, wow. Jackie was treated just like one of the boys. He was given a uniform, a complete uniform. Oh, nice. With, but I'll have to show you a picture. I'll I'll put the picture up on Facebook and Instagram. But uh, a complete uniform with buttons and badges. He had a cap. Uh, he had a paybook and his own set of rations. Wow. So he was one of the boys. Nice. And he acted just like the other soldiers. When he saw a super so he cursed a lot. <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, when he saw a super a superior officer pass by, he would stand and salute them. Correctly. Oh, nice. He would also light cigarettes for his fellow officers <laughs> and himself, I'm sure. I'm careful nice. But that's the thing when you're out there. I guarantee those. Like we talked about it with uh, what's the what was the bear's name? Voytek. Yeah. Voytek. Yeah. But they're getting him the big big bear drunk, and he was not. He was eating cigarettes. cigarettes you yeah. take like one hit. You <laughs> take like one hit and then swallow the whole thing. Yeah, he's trying to up the game, you know. <laughs> like You
1: people smoke them. The Polish we eat them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but. uh he stood at a century, a job he excelled at due to his heightened sense of smell and hearing. And due to his dedication to the army, he became the official mascot of the 3rd Regiment and was taken everywhere with the soldiers, including into France to fight in the war. Wow. He spent time in the trenches in France hmm. and was even wounded by, enemies, by the enemy fire. During a shootout in the trenches, Jackie was seen building a wall of stones for protection. Wow. That's pretty freaking smart. Yeah. Um, although it didn't quite work because uh, uh, he was hit with a piece of shrapnel that threw, I don't know if it flew through the wall or how somehow oh. it got, or if he wasn't finished with the wall. Oh. Or but somehow it, it hit his right leg, some shrapnel. Hmm. The regiment's doctor took Jackie uh, via stretcher to the camp's hospital and tried to save his leg. But unfortunately, it had to be amputated. Oh. That's too uh, bad. Yeah, due to being knocked out with chloroform. That's how they knocked people out back then oh. in the war was for just chloroform. And chloroform doesn't. Like, you've seen chloroform in movies. So, like. Like a robber or something goes behind a guy, puts it on his mouth, and he's out within 10 seconds. That's not how chloroform works. Uh, I don't know how long it takes and what you need to do exactly, but I I remember watching something. They're like, yeah, that is not how chloroform works. And the unknown effects of chloroform on baboons, the doctors were not confident that he would even recover. But after a few days, he did recover. And for his bravery, Jackie was awarded a medal. For valor, as well as promoted from private and to corporal. Oh, wow, nice. So he is a corporal now. Eventually, near the end of the war, Jackie was discharged and sent back to Cape Town. He left with his discharge papers, a military pension, wow. <laughs> and a civil employment form for discharged soldiers. Nice. So they like, gave him everything that they gave their soldiers. That's cool. uh and like a true friend, Jackie returned to the Mar family farm, giving up his career of service for a life of leisure as a pet until his death in 1921.
1: Hmm.
0: But that is Jackie the baboon. Oh, well, nice. To this day, Jackie uh, is the only baboon to have achieved rank in the South African infantry, as well as the only baboon to fight in World War I. Yeah, I never that, heard of, I, heard of them I mean, I would imagine he, there's not that many baboons fighting in the wars for us. So. Unless you count the Germans. Oh!
1: Just kidding. <laughs> that
0: probably is a bad joke. <laughs> well, there there was one baboon at least fighting there. Hitler? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was in World War One too, though. Yeah. All right. So that's the story of Jackie the Baboon. And, Dave, that is going to wrap up the episode. Nice. Hopefully everyone enjoyed our coverage of animals in warfare and there really is a lot more we can cover. So sometime down the road, I'm sure that we will do animals in warfare again. I mean there's we definitely have to Yeah, we're going to have to. Uh, I really enjoyed doing this topic as well, but yeah, yeah, we definitely got to. There's a lot of things that we missed. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, dolphins. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's dolphin stories um and whales and sea lions. We didn't even we weren't even able to uh, get into that. And then I also want to cover um, animals at like the Colosseum in Rome. Oh yeah. So that'll be an episode for another time and put those two together. We'll do a part three, maybe sometime soon. Okay. But yeah, this was a really good topic. And I get it. Yeah. It was a good idea of mine. It was, <laughs> but all right for next week, my plan for now is to do a solo episode on the bull shark. Oh, We're going back. We're going to do some shark stuff. We haven't done shark stuff in a while. And I know... I may have to sit this one out, Matt. (laughs) I'm going to California in a month. Yeah. (laughs) Dave has a deathly fear of sharks still today, even though we've talked about them. Like, they're not that bad. Although there has been... We'll cover these on our recent episode. Okay. One of our recent episodes. But um, there's been two shark... T- attacks that I've read about in the last like two weeks mm. one of them was I know one of them was for sure killed a guy in Maui oh. uh, I can't remember where the other attack was but yeah we're gonna cover bull sharks they're they're really interesting especially how they can they're like the only species that can go in between uh, fresh water and salt water oh wow and I'm thinking we will cover the uh, 1916 Jersey Shore attacks. To go along with it. Oh, okay. So, thanks. Yeah, yeah. That'll be great. <laughs> well, that, that, this is the story that inspired <laughs> Jaws. Is are these Jersey Shore attacks? So I think that's on for the plan. The plan for next week is a bull shark episode. All right. Uh, before we f- finish off, I want to give a super shout out. Super <laughs> shout out. Thank you, David Star. David Star. Thank you for your donation. It really means a lot to us. Uh, and each donation will bring us a little bit closer to getting some merch going. So that really helps. So thank you, David Starr. It doesn't matter how small or big it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And at the, I forgot to mention this, at the end of the month, it will be our anniversary episode, our one-year anniversary. It will, so I think we're going to make that be episode 50, Okay, it lines up well. So episode fifty is going to be our anniversary episode, and my idea for it is to we might retell a few of our favorite stories throughout the year. Okay. So if any listeners, well, Dave, you can think of some that you thought were your favorites. Yeah. I've got a couple in mind. So if any listeners have a favorite story, let us know, and maybe we can retell. We can retell it again, and we're also going to cover a few listener stories that they sent in to us. Um, one listener sent in a really good story. She like typed it oh, all out, it made up. it like a, a whole paper for us. Nice. So we're going to share her story. It's really cool. Um, and so if you're a listener and you have a story, now is the time to send them in because we're going to be sharing them all on episode 50. So yeah. do that. And also I want to uh, point out again to check out our friends over at Win animals attack podcast, if you can't get enough animal stories, And hit them up. Uh, They should have a new episode coming out this weekend, I think. And I think it's on Black Bears, if I remember right. Mm. And I know that our our listeners, they love bears because all all of our bear episodes are in our... Well, now they're in our top five of most hits are our bear episodes. All three of them. So maybe we'll need to do another bear episode. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, if our listeners want to help out and contribute to the show... What is it they can do? They can go to
1: iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Rate, review, give us five stars. This really helps us out, you know. Get more (laughs) listeners.
0: (laughs) I don't know why. I think I got it, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you were doing fine. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to take over. Okay.
1: <laughs> so yeah,
0: go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, give us a review, give us five stars, say something you like about the show. The ratings and reviews really help out a lot, guys. So take the 20, 30 seconds and do that for us. It really means a lot. I have said before that um, the reviews and stuff kind of make and break a podcast for some reason. I don't know how it all works on iTunes and whatnot, but it, I do know that it means a lot and so please do that for us. And you can do it, you don't have to do it on iTunes, do it on whatever platform you use, or you can even go to our Facebook page and give us a review there. And we give shout outs to anyone who does. And if you want to be an even more wonderful person like David Starr, become a producer of the show and go to PayPal or Venmo, leave a little donation. That would mean a whole lot to us. Uh, I don't care if it's $1 or $100 or $11, like David Starr. <laughs> nice. Uh, anything helps. Uh, man, we will we will love you for helping us. And like, like I've said, we're trying to we want to get some merch going, some T-shirts or hats or something. So donations are what's going to help get that going. So uh, go to PayPal. You can find us by our email forceofnaturepod at gmail.com or on Venmo on my personal account, Matthew-Hamilton-51. And all that info is on the description below. Uh, on, uh, and to all the listeners, feel free to contact us if you ever want to. Tell us a cool, like, send in your animal stories now, and then we can cover it. So definitely do that. Or if you want to suggest an episode idea, or if you just want to ask a question or say hi, please feel free. You can email us or message us on Facebook. Uh, also, you can help us grow by recommending us to family and friends. Tell them we are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. We're everywhere. All the ones you need to be on. Dave, do you have anything to add? No. I'm good. Colonel Cheetor? Dave, are you still afraid of sharks? What a pussy. Hey, what are you <laughs> talking You don't even <laughs> have to go. You don't even go in the water. How would you know? Oh, well, I'll bet if he went in, he'd be uh, just as uh, scared. I don't know if he's wrong or not, but... This is Force of Nature Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends. Be a part of building us up. And we will see you next week. Bye.